Beloved, will you turn with me in your Bibles this afternoon to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. We'll be reading the first 26 verses of Lamentations chapter 3. The first 26 verses of Lamentations 3. Our focus will be primarily on verses 21 to 26. We'll read the whole up to 26. Lamentations 3. Beloved, this is the word of our God. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He has been to me a bear lying in wait like a lion in ambush. He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me up as a target for the arrow. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. I have become the ridicule of all my people, their taunting song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. I said my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for their salvation of the Lord. So far the reading of God's word. Well, beloved, we are at the beginning of another year, and it is a natural thing for us to do at the beginning of another year, is to look forward to what is to come. Some of us have some rather big plans. We've got a couple of weddings coming up, I'm sure. There's most likely some babies due. We might have some new homes to move into this coming year. Some of us have exciting vacations planned already. Some of us are heading off to school for the first time. Other of us have other big transitions going on in our lives. But there's so much, beloved, that is also unplanned. So much that is unseen. We don't know what the next 12 months has in store for us. Even our big plans that we have spent so much time thinking about and planning may not happen. 
Maybe God has a different path laid out for us than the one that we have set in place. The point is that there is so much unknown ahead for us this year. Now, for some of us, that's an exciting thought. There's an eagerness, perhaps, uh, uh, to see what comes next. There's an excitement for the unknown. But for others of us, that's a less exciting thought. The unknown is unsettling. Maybe the unknown is something I don't want, something I don't like. We don't look forward to unknowns. Well, beloved, the writer of Lamentations gives us the reason why we can look forward to what lies ahead with confidence. Even in the uncertainty, we can look forward to the future. And he tells us that the reason why we can do that is hope. Now, hope is an interesting thing. Hope is like fuel in a car. It helps us move forward. It gives us confidence right now. It gives us strength for today because the future is secure. And as children of God, our hope takes on an interesting twist. And that's because we can look forward with hope even when we don't know what's going to happen. Even and and even no matter what happens. In fact, we can look forward with hope even when we know that what lies ahead will be hard and difficult. Even when we know it's something that we would prefer not to have to face. And this is strange because so often hope is rooted in knowing what is coming. We look forward to that vacation. We look forward to that new house, to that wedding, to the the birth of that child. That's the foundation of so much of our hope. But Lamentations 3 digs deeper. It does not root hope in knowing what lies ahead, but rather in knowing who is with us in what lies ahead. We have this all the time, don't we? we? We are generally more confident when we are with others. We can walk through that dark forest in the middle of the night when we are camping far more easily when we are with friends than, when, than if we are alone. We can go on that trip without our parents for the very first time more confidently when we are with companions. And that's sort of like what Lamentations is telling us, beloved. It roots hope for the future in the presence and in the character of Almighty God. It's as Paul declares in Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's the foundation of confident hope in Lamentations 3. It's not the fact that we know what the next year holds, but in who is holding us in the next year. And so this afternoon, beloved, we are going to reflect on the anchor of our souls for this coming year. And as we begin another 365 days of life on this earth in service to our King, let's reflect this afternoon on the anchor that will hold us secure for every single one of those days. We're going to look at this in three points. First, we're going to see a challenged hope, then an immovable hope, and finally a transforming hope. A challenged hope, uh, an immovable hope, and a transforming hope. Our passage this afternoon is one that I think most of us are familiar with. Lamentations 3, 22 to 24 in particular are well-known words. We read them often at happy occasions like an anniversary or the birth of a child or a birthday. But I don't think we often read the verses that go before it. 
And they wonder if that's in part because they are much darker verses. We might skip them because they don't usually suit the situation in which we're using the passage. On an anniversary, we don't want to think about pain and suffering. We don't want to think about the man who has seen affliction. But, beloved, these opening verses are about hardship. These about hardship are where verses 22 to 24 find their greatest significance. Yes, they can stand on their own, and they are glorious even in isolation. But they shine even brighter when they are placed into the darkness of these opening verses. Now, we're not completely sure who wrote Lamentations. Some scholars think it was Jeremiah, or maybe it was, but nowhere in the book is an author named. But the timing and the language of the book would make Jeremiah the most likely candidate. It's a book that's probably written about 10 years after the fall of Jerusalem. And it's out of this grief, it's out of this tragedy of witnessing the fall of Jerusalem, of seeing the devastation and the death and the exile, that Jeremiah most likely writes this poem. And in the first 16 verses, he laments the tragedy itself in vivid and poetic language. Notice how he begins in verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He is the man of affliction. He is the one bowed down in anguish. And then the following verses are wave after wave of these images of what he has seen, what he's endured. He's made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. He's a bear lying in wait for me. He is a lion that is hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. Wave after wave of pain, of suffering, of anguish, he is a man that is deeply afflicted. Notice, beloved, who the afflictor is. It's God. Notice how many times the word he is used here. It is the rod of his wrath. It is uh, he has walled me in. He has shut me out. He has blocked me. He has bent his bow. It is God who has brought upon Israel his judgment. They are under the mighty hand of God's wrath. But then in verses 17 to 20, he describes how he feels about all this, this destruction. He says, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So, uh, so has my hope from the Lord. Endurance and hope have perished. In other words, he feels hopeless. Under the heavy hand of God's judgment, his endurance has come to an end. And beloved, we too can struggle with hopelessness. We too can come to an end of our endurance. Maybe you can look back to a particular moment like this this past year. Maybe this was you earlier this week. Maybe, beloved, that is you here this afternoon. For all sorts of different reasons, we may have found ourselves feeling overwhelmed and helpless or hopeless. Maybe it's from a struggle with a certain ungodly desire. 
Maybe that's what's so heavy on your heart. Its grasp on our hearts is so strong. Its talons and its fangs are so deep that to pull free is painful. That can feel hopeless. Will I ever break free from its grip? Is there ever going to be freedom from this? Or maybe it's that relationship that you've tried to repair and it just doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Perhaps you yourself continue to feel bitterness or perhaps it's the other side who just won't lean in. It feels like a wall. It too feels helpless or hopeless. Or maybe it's a long sickness that seems to be getting better, but then heads in the opposite direction. That that glimmer of hope of an end disappears so suddenly, and again, it feels hopeless. We too, beloved, can feel hopeless at times. But we need to notice that that it is a, a feeling of hopelessness that we have. It is a feeling that is inside of us. It's, it's something that we have. But beloved, there is something that is outside of us that reminds us that we are never truly without help, hope. And that's what the writer turns to next as he focuses secondly on an immovable hope. In verse 21, he says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Notice here that he remembers something. He calls something back into his mind. He pulls uh, it back to the forefront of his thoughts. It's intentional. It's not something that just popped into his mind randomly. No, it's something that he went back to. In his anguish, he placed before his heart the glorious truths of who God is. He pulled into his heart that which was outside of it. He went outside of himself to find hope. Beloved, I cannot stress enough how important this is for the Christian life. We so easily get tunnel vision. We so easily enter into these echo chambers of our own minds. We so easily stew in our own thoughts, trying to find a way out, but never do. That's because what we need, beloved, is an outside Voice. We need the voice of God. We need His Word. We need to hear Him speak to us. That's what we need, not more of ourselves, not more of our own thoughts, but His thoughts, His words, more of Him. That's what's happening here. Jeremiah pulls God's truth into his heart. And what glorious truths he grabs hold of. He turns to the character of his God. He turns to that which is most immovable, immovable, to that what is most secure to give him footing in the uncertainty of his own circumstances. And there's three gospel truths in particular that he calls to mind here. First, he remembers the steadfast love of his God. The Lord's mercies are not consumed. In the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Now, the word mercies here is perhaps better translated as steadfast love. It is the steadfast love of the Lord is that Hebrew word that does not sound very lovely to us, but, it, but its meaning is the most lovely. It is the word chesed. It is the covenant love of God. This means that it is the love that reached out to lost and broken sinners and entered into a relationship that was sealed with a promise. 
It is the love that promised to take on himself the covenant curses, not for his own disobedience, but the disobedience of his covenant partner for you and for me. It is a selfless love of Almighty God that gives and gives and gives even though we do not deserve it. It is the love that sent Jesus Christ. It is the love that Jesus had that made him willingly go to the cross, willingly give up his life, willingly endure the wrath of his Father. It is this love that motivates God's every action towards his people. Even the discipline that Jeremiah is, is, is crying out of is fueled by love. Beloved, this means that everything that God brings into your life and my life is because he loves us. It is the selfless love of God. That is what chesed is. And here this word is in the plural. We could render it the steadfastnesses of God. Only five times in the Bible is this word used in the plural. And the point is to make particular focus on the abundance of this steadfast love. Now the word in the singular already captures that, but here Jeremiah wants us to see the abundant abundance of God's love. It's grace upon grace. It's mercy upon mercy. It is glory upon glory. Beloved, this mercy this or this abundant love never ceases it has no end we are not cut off says jeremiah remember that jeremiah is speaking after the exile and yet he still exists to cry out after the exile which means that he has not been destroyed and he's not been destroyed because of god's love he is still a sinner And yet he still lives, which means that God's love never stops because our sinning never stops. God's love has no end. When I was younger, I received a remote control car for my birthday. And that car was so fun to drive until, of course, those batteries died. And so then I had to wait so patiently for them to charge And as I sat there waiting, I wanted nothing more than for batteries that never died, for batteries that could fuel my car endlessly. And beloved, that is the love of God. It is an endless love. It is a love that never ceases. It is a a source of joy and peace and confidence that never runs dry. And beloved, that love is ours in Jesus Christ. In Christ, this love is ours forevermore. That means that even in the hardships, even in the dark moments, even in the struggles, God is still there. His love for you never leaves. This means, beloved, that in this coming year and all the uncertainty of what is to come, you will be loved. His love will never fail. It will never stop. I will never disappear. I will never leave you. I will be with you. My love will not stop. That's what God is saying here. This is the foundation of confident hope. We know that we are loved with a love that will never leave us. But there's even more. There's also the second gospel truth that Jeremiah calls to mind here. He says that his compassions 
fail not. His, his mercies fail not. And it's like the intense love that a mother has for her child. There is a sweet tenderness to the love that God gives to his people. In other words, beloved, he knows how hard it is. He knows how powerful sin can be. He knows how difficult living in this broken world is. And Hebrews 4 reminds us that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. He sympathizes with us. This does not mean that he excuses our sin, but he sympathizes with the struggle. He sympathizes with the weakness. And just like his love, his mercies never end. They too do not expire. In fact, beloved, they are new every single morning. Remember back in the wilderness wandering of Israel, how God provided new manna every morning except on Sabbath days. Every morning a new blanket of manna would would cover the ground all around God's people. And just like that, God showers us every new morning with His compassions. This means, beloved, that He does not grow tired. You and I grow tired. Our mercy usually comes to an end. We can only deal with people's shortcomings for so long before we come to the end of our patience. But God does not. His mercies are renewed each new day. This means that he does not get tired of us. This means that he accepts our repentance again and again and again and again and again and again and again. He does not grow tired as you and I do of this seemingly endless pattern of of failing and repenting because his mercies are never ending. They are new every single morning. Our sins, beloved, they are many. But the glorious truth of the gospel is that his mercy is more. His mercy is always more. And this gives us incredible confidence for the next 365 days. We know that we are going to fail in this coming year. We strive with all of our might, yet we know that we will stumble. But we also know that the tender arms of our faithful Savior will always be open to receive us when we repent. Beloved, there's one more gospel truth that Jeremiah calls to mind here, and it is the faithfulness of God. He says, great is your faithfulness. His faithfulness is his immovability. This is why he is described all through Scripture as our rock or our our fortress or our shield or an anchor. And an anchor holds a ship secure in the crashing waves. Up and down the boat rides on the waves, but never outside the length of the anchor chain. Now all these pictures point us in the right direction, but they all fail. Rocks can be destroyed, fortresses can collapse, shields can be pushed over, and of course anchors can let go. But not God. He is immovable. There is nothing that can push him. There is nothing that can collapse him. There is nothing, beloved, that can unanchor him. This means 
that in the storms of life, as we are tossed all over the place on the waves of uncertainty, our anchor will never let go. Our anchor will never be pulled free. The chain will never snap. And this too, beloved, gives us incredible confidence for this coming year. It means that no matter what happens, God will still be there. His love and his tender mercies cannot be shaken. There is nothing that we can imagine. There is nothing that exists that can shake him loose. And this is why we can sing on Christ the solid rock I stand. Why? Because all other ground is sinking ground. That's because our God is completely and totally reliable. So, beloved, we have God's steadfast love, we have his tender mercies, and we have his unfailing faithfulness. This is who our God is. He isn't this for just a moment, but he is this all of the time. He has always been this way, and he will always be this way, because this is who he is. These are the gospel truths that Jeremiah calls to mind because they are the gospel truths that banish hopelessness. Verse 21, yet will I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Verse 24, therefore I will hope in him. Beloved, these are the gospel truths that you and I must call to mind so that we too may have confident hope in the year ahead. It is God who is our anchor for this new year. In the uncertainty ahead, he is the one, that he, is, he is what is absolutely certain. He will not move and cannot be moved. He will be with you wherever you go. He is your source of confident hope. He is the foundation of confident hope. Therefore, we can face a new year without fear, not because we know what might, or not because what might happen won't be hard, not because we know what exactly what will happen, because we will not face it alone. We don't walk a lonely road, beloved. We never walk a lonely road as children of God. And so we've been or seen a challenged hope and an immovable hope. Finally, beloved, we need to see that this hope is a transforming hope. And there's three ways that we see this transforming hope at work here. This hope transforms us into worshipers, confessors, and waiters. And the first we see at the end of verse 23 when Jeremiah says, Great is your faithfulness. Notice here that Jeremiah is speaking directly to God. Up until this point, he has been speaking about God, but here he speaks to God. In fact, what he's doing is praising God. God. The sorrower of verses 1 through 19 has been transformed into the worshiper of verse 23. The one who is hopeless is now the one who is hopeful. He has been brought out of the darkness of despair and into the light of confident hope. He has been reminded of what is true about God that even in the midst of destruction that he is still faithful. One writer has this beautiful little phrase that summarizes the transformation here. He says that Jeremiah's theology becomes doxology. 
theology becomes doxology. What we confess about God becomes the content and the ground of our praise to God. And so, praise, beloved, is the first transformation that we see here. Jeremiah praises God. And this is the pattern of Scripture, isn't it? This is the pattern of the Christian life. In psalm after psalm, we have laments that turn to praise. Yet I will praise you. Yet I will exalt your holy name. Confident hope, beloved, leads to praise. It leads to praise even in the storms, even when everything else is going crazy, even when we are at the end of our endurance. But that's not all. A confident hope also transforms us into confessors. In verse 24, we read, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. And this is a confession. This is from His soul, from the core of His being. It's a confession about how God is all that He needs. He is His portion. He is sufficient. This language is taken from when Joshua divided up the land after conquering it. And in particular, these words are taken from God's word to the Levites, who, of course, did not receive a portion of land. And God said to them, I am your portion and inheritance in the midst of the Israelites. I am your portion. I will provide for you. And this the Lord did as uh, through the sacrifices that were offered by all the other tribes. But the heart of it is that all I am, or I am all that you need. You don't need anything else. I will tend to you. I will take care of you. And this is Jeremiah's confession. I don't need to look for another anchor. I don't need to look for certainty anywhere else. I will look only to you. You are all that I need. And this is where confident hope brings us, it brings us to this confession. It shows us that there is no other way. It shows us that God and God alone is sufficient. There's so much in our lives that we think that we need for stability, for certainty. We think that we need to be affirmed. We think that we need the recognition of others. We think that we need to know God's detailed plans for each step of our lives. We think we need to know every single step ahead. But, beloved, we don't. We don't need any of those things. All we need is the God of this confession. The Lord is my portion. He is sufficient for me. Though the earth may shake and fall into the depths of the sea, He is sufficient for me. Though my world be turned upside down, yet will I hope, for Christ is sufficient for me. And so hope transforms us into worshipers and into confessors. And finally, it also transforms us into waiters. Now, this is not the kind that serves food at a restaurant, but the kind that waits patiently on the Lord. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. In other words, I will wait upon the Lord. I will wait on Him even as perhaps my family falls apart, as my marriage crumbles. 
I will wait upon the Lord as my body gets sick, as my relationships fall and crash, as the unforeseen takes over my life. I will wait with confident hope because my God is faithful. I don't know all the answers, but I know the one who does. I don't know what to do, but I know the one who does. I know who is holding me even now. I will wait upon the Lord in faith. I will rest in his goodness. This means, beloved, that confident hope transforms our view of the future, transforms our view of this coming year. Less important will be knowing what is going to happen and far more important will be the one who will be with us through every step of the journey. Confident hope is a transforming hope, beloved, and it transforms us into worshipers, confessors, and waiters. So, beloved, another 365 days lies ahead of us. 365 days of plans and uncertainties, some of which are going to overwhelm us. But, beloved, in Christ, we do not face a single one of these days or situations or events alone. And that's because the God of our salvation, the anchor of our soul, is with us every moment. His love, His mercy, and His faithfulness are our constant companions. Therefore, look forward in confident hope to this coming year, beloved, and rest in the certainty of who our God is. Amen. Let's pray. Our great and holy Father, we confess to you this afternoon that we would like to be gods of our own lives. We confess that we want to be in control, that we want to know what is to come, that we want to know every step of the plan. And yet in your great wisdom, you have not given us that. But you have given us something so far greater. You have given us hope. You have given us a confident hope. You have given us a foundation in which we can rest our everything on so that we can look to the future in all of the uncertainty that is ahead and not be afraid, not be fearful, but we can be hopeful because we know that we will not walk one single step of the way without your faithfulness, without your presence with us. And so, Father, will you work in us? Help us to grab hold of the truths of your word. Help us to lay hold of the truths of who you are that we now have free access to in Jesus Christ. And, Heavenly Father, will you help us then to walk boldly and to walk confidently and to walk hopefully into this new year and the strength that you provide. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.